because I was just writing just terrible prose for like years and years. And, you know, my teachers would be like, good for you. That's that's nice. And sort of be patting me on the head. And then after I graduated from grad school, like uh, and I was just sort of thrust on my own to sort of do this writing thing and nobody was giving me a grade or like, you know, patting me on the back or saying, let's let's talk about this. Like all the lessons could coalesce. Um, and start to actually impact my writing and I could sort of get away from all the noise and I just actually finally started to understand what this whole writing thing was and write things that maybe didn't suck quite as much. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, their stories behind their stories, the writing process, and any other miscellaneous writing stuff that we decide to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Melissa Reddish, a fiction writer with two published works under her belt and who also teaches English at Warwick Community College in Salisbury, Maryland. Melissa graduated from my alma mater, Washington College, in 2005, and then went on to earn her Master's of Fine Arts from American University in 2008. She wrote a collection of flash fiction titled The Distance Between Us, which was published in 2013 by Redbird Chatbooks. Then, in 2015, Tailwinds Press published a collection of her short stories called My Father is an Angry Storm Cloud. This new collection focuses on various protagonists as they face stark and often scary or bizarre situations and then figure out how to push forward. From a film studies major who ends up as a supervisor in a chicken processing plant, read Slaughterhouse, to a mother trying to figure out if her daughter's imaginary friend is something a bit more sinister. Either way, Melissa's stories will grab you and take you on an unforgettable trip. So, welcome to the podcast, Melissa. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, one of the things, and we had kind of talked on this before we started the podcast, but it's one of the things I want to hit right up front because it's it was so present in my mind when I was reading your work. But there are characters in some of these stories, especially um, in the first two, that really have overtones or heavy reminders for me anyway of Jillian Flynn's uh, some of her characters especially I was thinking about Libby Day from Dark Places and I think it's Camille from Sharp Objects so there are these women who are just ferocious or they're broken or they're doing these things that you're like that's not ladylike you know so um, that was one of the things that kind of struck me right away and I just really wanted to talk to you about where that comes from like where do you where do you dig that up yeah, I think those kinds of characters are always the most interesting, aren't oh, they? Yeah. The Absolutely. ones that are just, you know, a little bit broken, a little bit terrible, a little bit fucked up in, in some way. And just getting in that headspace is what I really like so that I can take kind of the emotions that I feel and sort of like plaster them onto this, you know, really whacked out person in this situation that is completely insane and kind of figure out like what would be kind of a, a plausible way for them to react. Um, and I, I, I get reminded of, uh, I was reading Amy Poehler's memoir like, uh, like a while back and she had that whole thing where, um, I feel like it was her and maybe it was Tina Fey. I can't remember. It was her and someone else were, were doing like this bid and, uh, Jimmy Kimmel was like, I don't like that. That's not ladylike. And she's like, I don't fucking care if you like it. <laughs> and so those are kind of like my female protagonists. Like, I don't fucking care if you like it. Right. Yeah. No, it was, there was a moment, especially like in the first. So when, when you start reading my angry father's a storm cloud, the first story you get is one called roadkill 
And this girl is not accidentally making roadkill. And it's just, there's this brutality and there's this, also, not just in the character, but in the way that you describe it. And I'm like, man, I don't know, if, should I be afraid of Melissa? Like, like <laughs> th- that was pretty, but it's so vivid and it comes off the page so well that I am absolutely just, I, I want it was like, I was reading, I was like, you know, I want to look away, but like, I, you know, you just, you kind of had that push and pull moment, but I really liked how your characters are just kind of terrible. I don't know. It's, <laughs> I don't know any other way to say it though. When, so you alluded to this a little bit before, and I want to see if I got it. Um, when you when you say you have these emotions and you put them on these characters, is is it like, well, I know how I feel. I wonder how that character would feel if they had this emotion because they didn't they didn't have the the, the good upbringing I had I had or, or something like that. It's like you take part of the emotion, but then you let the character go with it. Is that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, I certainly have never gotten to my car and just like, I'm going to kill these animals, you know? Like, right. I never felt that specific emotion. But, you know, I've, I've been in a place where I didn't know where my life was going and I felt frustration. And I've t- I felt like that kind of raw anger, you mm. know, that is so unladylike that, you know, women aren't really supposed to feel or show. And so I kind of wanted to explore that, but in a, in a different way. So a character where that might come out as, you know, running over these small animals for fun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, and I think that was one of the other things that I really um, dug about your work that I really liked about it was these characters are so layered. I mean, some of these stories are really short, but there there are layers to these where some of these off some of these characters that seem like the nice guys. Like I'm reading a story, I'm like, oh, he's gonna be he's gonna be the nice guy, and then like three pages later, I'm like, no, he is definitely not a nice guy. And then <laughs> but then the person that seems and the other part too is, and then there are characters who have who do these terrible things or seem like terrible people. But then also like all of a sudden you give them this really relatable moment to the reader, and I'm like, why am I identifying with such an awful person? You know, and so. <laughs> I think that that was really well done in 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 this in this collection. Thanks. Yeah, that's the goal, right? To get these characters that have all these layers. Because when you meet per- like people, you you see just like that first layer, and you think you're like, ah, I know this person, right? And then eventually they'll surprise you with something later on. And yeah, uh, like he's the creepy white guy. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there's something underneath that of that creepy white guy. There's, oh, no, there's more going on there. Yeah, you know. And, but, yeah, we're talking about you, Tony. That's okay. <laughs> but I think I like that. You know, there were weirdos, the characters that seem like weirdos, but then you realize that oh, they're kind of normal, and then the ones that are nice or not and I don't know there was just sort of this duality I think to your characters and for you to be able to pull that off so succinctly in a sh- in just a, a matter of a few pages I mean I've, I was really sort of blown away by that thanks I think flash fiction is really good training for that too along with the short story form because you have to like take like these entire worlds because each person is a world right and like boil it down to just like the fewest amount of words that can convey that and you know poets do it the best you know because every single word counts and has like all these meanings to them so I kind of want to like steal from poets and see what I can take and like put into fiction <laughs> you know Tony's laughing because he, he, he always I'm, my, I'm also the I'm also the I hate poetry guy. He's the anti poetry. <laughs> I want I want to steal from poets so that they become truly homeless. <laughs> Tony, that's terrible. <laughs> but when so that, you you brought up something that I want to kind of go back to right quick. So your first collection was flash fiction, mm-hmm. and then we've moved on to short stories. What was the and you said the flash fiction was good training for this. What was the kind of the the process for you to move from flash fiction to 
let's tell everybody, including oh, me, yeah. what flash fiction is. Well, yeah, maybe maybe let's go back for that too. Usually, um, there's not like a strict definition, but under like a thousand or maybe even twelve hundred words, it's kind of considered flash fiction, um, and anything over the that is kind of like more short story. Um, though there are like things definitely that kind of straddle. Uh, that that bridge between them but I was actually writing both the flash fiction and the short stories at the same time um, and I would just go back and forth between writing one and the other and it, it turned out that I, I came across this chapbook and it seemed like a chapbook you know because it's really short it's hand bound um, it's only going to be like you know, 12 to 20 maybe 30 pages that flash fiction would work a lot better for that because you could get kind of more bang for your buck so I collected all the flash fiction together and then I, I was you know slowly working on stories and I realized that what I was really into is this kind of magical realism thing where you have like this ordinary, you know, realistic universe and then just something like off the wall happens. Right. Um, and, and so I started really kind of focusing on that a little bit more and kind of collecting that. And just to follow up a little bit, flash fiction is more of a genre now. It's an accepted genre, I think, where it probably wasn't 15 years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, and so... For you, it's nice because it's like for for someone maybe in the 1970s, it's like, oh, this is a this is a complete story, but no one's going to want it because it's little time. I mean, I guess right. Kurt Vonnegut did that a lot, right? He had a lot of those, I guess, what we'd call flash fiction with just a little, you know, this is three pages long, and it's but it's it's not that you couldn't finish it; it's just complete and also small. It's like this is the picture, you know, right. and it's instead of the movie. Or, or in, instead of the series, this is this is the picture of. This is all you need to know about this person. Right. Yeah. And it is nice that you, it has that kind of legitimacy to it, and it's like an avenue that you can go down, and it's something that you know other people have done. You can read other flash fiction, you can like read a ton of it online, and and see kind of different strategies, and then go out and do your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you touched on something a second ago that um, I. I'd actually put in my notes because I wanted to talk about it was there's sort of like when you talk about this, the, the magical realism or, or whatnot, there was definitely stories as I was going through. So I'm reading this story and like normal thing is happening. Normal thing is happening. And then all of a sudden we like, like, you know, that is <laughs> what was that paragraph? Like, did I just read? There was a, you know, this, and I don't want to give it away too much, but there were certain moments where all of a sudden these very non real things were happening in what you had set up as a very real environment or very real universe. And there was, and so I found myself stopping, like, is this a metaphor? <laughs> you know, because, you know, coming from a nonfiction brain, right. once you take that hard left turn into another place, I was like, is Melissa giving me a metaphor? Maybe I should think about it. And then I'm like, <laughs> maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe this is just the, you know, maybe this is, this is how it goes. This is how it goes. Right. So for me, you know, that was, I thought that was really, it made me pay more attention, I think. Sometimes, you know, for a nonfiction person to read fiction, it's like, okay, we're going to make everything up. But then, you know, you took this, you took so many um, interesting kind of deviations from the truth that I was sort of riveted by it. I just thought it was really interesting. And uh, I, I sort of, but at the end, there wasn't always resolution either. Mm -hmm. So was that... Is it because it's so short that you're like, oh, I can't tie all this stuff up in one bow at the end, so guess what? You're on your own with what I've given you. <laughs> or is it um, or was it just sort of it was complete on its own that way? It feels complete to a way, um, in a way to me, but um, 
I also, I really like the open endings. I know, like, you either love them or you hate them. Like, you're like, yeah, open-ended, I can decide, I choose my own adventure, or just like, what the hell, like, why didn't she just finish this damn story, you know? But I, I love the open endings because you get to kind of determine yourself, like, where where you think the story is going to go. And, um, I like, I wanted to wrap it up sort of thematically and via image and metaphor, but not necessarily, like, in a, in a nice little bow. And also, you can be wrong. That's, you know, that's what, that's what I, what I like about, about stories with, with what you, I guess, open-ended. I, I don't feel, I don't feel like they're, I don't feel like they're open-ended. It's just, they're not any more open-ended than the regular life that we all, that we all have. I think that that's what makes them, I think that's what makes them special. They're the, they, we don't get, re, we get a resolution and we get six, let's say, re- resolutions. You know, one of them is death. But other than that, the other ones are just arbitrary. We're like, okay, this part is over now. And it's, it's not because you're built of it and you're taking it forward. So it's not neat and it's not convenient. And when it happens to us in life, it creeps us out. And like, you know, we're like, is the universe like converging to do this to me? Like you don't get resolution in life. And so when you read a story and it has – what we would call, what we're calling now no resolution, what it really is is, well, I think this is going to happen. But yeah, well, when, when, I, when I left my office, I thought something was going to happen too, and I was wrong. Like the way I thought my day was going to go, it didn't go that way. You know? And that's what happens to your characters when your story is over. The way we think it went, maybe it went that way, but maybe it didn't. They don't know any more than we do. Yeah, it's I just found, where you Yeah, I found myself up. going back like when I'd get to the end, and I was like, oh, she didn't wrap it up, she didn't wrap it up. And then I was finding myself going back and like looking for clues. So I was like, I was like, maybe she buried it. And I was like, you know, this is my nonfiction brain. I'm like, the, the, you know, the little tiny man who can talk. That is a metaphor for, you know, you, you know, the father figure who was too big, you know. And I'm like, and then I'm like, and seven months we thinking. And then so like, I get to the answer, and I'm like, she had to leave me a, an Easter egg somewhere in this story, you know. So I mean, I thought that, you know, there were so many things that I, I really, really liked about this. Um, but one of them was definitely that taking taking those hard lefts into some other place and handling it with, with, with the, I mean, it was just, just handling it the way you did was just really phenomenal. I thought, Oh, thanks. Yeah. So part of, so that kind of leads me to another question is like, how, how did, how do you, how'd you learn to do that? <laughs> well, I, uh, at that school you and I both went to. Yeah, that, what was the name of that school? Uh, it was a Washington College. was kind of pretty helpful. Uh, and then I, I did uh, my MFA at American University. Um, and I just wrote really So you just went to crappy stuff. schools your whole life. <laughs> yeah, and it's got right? Schools, but yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I wrote really shitty stuff, so you would think I would have gone to a crappy school because I was just writing just terrible prose for like years and years and you know, my teachers would be like, good for you. That's, that's nice. And sort of you know, patting me on the head. And then after I graduated from grad school, like, uh, and I was just sort of thrust on my own to sort of do this writing thing and nobody was giving me a grade or like, you know, patting me on the back or saying, let's, let's talk about this. Like all the lessons could coalesce, mm-hmm. um, and start to actually impact my writing. And I could sort of get away from all the noise. And I just actually finally started to understand what this whole writing thing was and write things that maybe didn't suck quite as much. Yeah. Well, this definitely doesn't, for sure. So answer this question both ways, I guess. (laughs) Poorly put. Um, How much did the fact that you went into teaching affect how much your writing improved? And how did you get into teaching from... Do you just, you know, 
answer an ad in the paper (laughs) feels that way sometimes yeah right (laughs) so like i i went to washington college and i thought i was going to go into doing like editorial stuff and then i served as a copy editor on and one of the school papers and i hated it that's the worst thing anyone can ever have to do that was an awful awful job like the school paper was great the people i worked with was great but just like reading things and fixing grammar like terrible so i was just like oh this is actually not my career path and so i did the the grad school thing and at american university they have two different tracks you can go on. You can go on the internship track or the teaching track. And I was like, well, I'm not going to become an editor. So I guess the teaching track, why not? Like, and so I went on the teaching track and luckily it turned out that I really enjoyed doing that. And so I got to work as an adjunct there. Um, and then I got to get into teaching at Warwick. And the nice thing about that is I can work really hard for like, you know, seven, eight, uh, maybe nine months out of the year. And then the rest of the time I get to write my right. own stuff which has been really, really nice, and I can focus on it really deeply. Um, right. Yeah. So one, we, we had a, someone else on the po- on, on the podcast, Joan Cooper. She actually right. is, uh, she, she teaches creative writing. And so I said to her, I was like, what are there moments when you're teaching your class something that you go, oh, man, I really should be taking my own advice there? You know, do you have oh, those yeah. kind of moments where you're like, do as I say, not as I do, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's cool because we don't have any creative writing classes at Warwick, which is like a real shame, but I sneak creative writing into pretty much every class I teach. Right. And, you know, the students love it. They want to take creative writing, so I sneak it into comp and literature and all sorts of stuff. So anyway, um, like there was this one lesson where I was teaching them T.S. Eliot's objective correlative that you should be describing things through your character's eyes so you understand what the character's feeling without having to say what they're feeling. Right. So, like, the way I would describe this room would be the different than the way you would describe this room, assuming we're, we have two different moods right now. So, anyway, like, I'm telling this to the students, and I'm like, oh, shit, that's, like, what's wrong with this one story. It's like, I'm not doing that. I'm just sort of, like, <laughs> describing it objectively, right? And so, like, make a little mental note to myself. <laughs> right, yeah. It's, I, you know, I, I think, like, it, there's a lot of, you know, like I said, do as I say, not as I do. And I'm just, you know, I'm always sort of captivated by people who have to kind of, give that instruction and then later on you know is there a moment where you just sit back and then that comes back to you or are you just you know is it something that just kind of it just kind of happens out there you know yeah I think sometimes it does come back you know, and it was sort of like the advice I received in grad school where I, I heard it, but I didn't really understand it. It just sort of like it went in one ear and out the other. And I was like, cool. And I'm going to just keep writing my crappy stuff. And they're like, right. great. That's awesome. You're wasting your money. Um, and then later, like it just sort of like comes back, sort of like this haunting echo. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's what that meant. That's what that means. I yeah. see. I see. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, you need to show, don't tell. And you're like, and then you, you know, and then that finally moment, you know, where something kind of comes together and you're like, oh, right. Okay, yeah. I'm with it. Yeah. So how long after, like you said, so how long after did that start coming back to you? Um, I probably like, like a year or two. I think it really took for it to make its way around the the earth and sort of loop back and finally get make its way back into my brain in a way right. that I could start to understand and use it and, and really understand like what it was that they were trying to convey to me. Right, those messages can be can be hard to get sometimes. <laughs> so, one of the things that I was I was hoping to get at before, and I I asked it poorly, so I, so I apologize. Is when you're putting these when you're putting it together. I'm the editor, so I can just cut this out. <laughs> That's okay. That's so, all right. Um, 
What, what I did want to ask about, I can't remember, what were we talking about? I got so... Yeah, no, we were talking thoughts. about like the teaching, like the teaching movement. Right. Was it that one? It we're going to cut all this moment. part out, so don't worry about it. It'll be fine. <laughs> it was it was the teaching moment. Oh, so when you're when you're going through things in in class and and they either they either occur to you or or they don't, how much work can you get done like during the semester? Does 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 the practice? That's what I was trying to get at. The, does the practice of it bring you along? Like. I was a really bad newspaper reporter, and then I was a really bad editor, and now I'm a not awful writer, and I'm not I'm a not awful editor. But it, there's time. I think we I think a lot of times we get confused and we think that you, you're a genius and then you're good at it. But I don't, I think for a lot of people, putting in the time is what they don't realize they need to do until oh, yeah. it, until it makes sense. Definitely. It took me a long time to say that. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, wait to come back. Thanks. <laughs> It's funny because, like, uh, I don't get a lot of writing done during the school year itself, but I know what I'm doing during the school year is definitely helping because with the teaching and especially with, like, reading student essays or just doing my own writing that's more academic, um, you know, I'm really sort of focusing on sentences and building those sentences and remembering how to build sentences. And so when I transfer from an academic mindset to a creative mindset, um, which I kind of have to do in order to start writing, you know, all that stuff will you know benefit me then and I can write sentences that are like less crappy like when I was doing graduate school I had to you know I remember it really well that one student was just like you know you keep writing the same sentence over and over and it's always like you know subject verb and then a comma and then a which or a that and then you have something else so you should vary your sentences I was like whatever you don't get my writing at all like why are you talking about right. sentences like think about what I'm writing about like you know that terrible thing but he was totally right like my sentences sucked they were the same one over and over again so it is that that kind of stuff that you do during the year that helps and it builds and like I so well now understand how sentences are put together. The I one of the things that's very difficult is to learn to say, you know what, the criticism could be legitimate. Oh yeah. You know, I was it, <laughs> coming up in the newspaper business is really helpful because it's your boss saying, I don't care what you think. Fix this. <laughs> you know? Right. This isn't this isn't your art. This is your job. <laughs> Do it. Um, and so and so that's that's one of the things that that's very helpful with that. But when you're also going through and you get to the end and you see how it's going to end, like that there is a like a kind of a magic like that where where you don't know where it's going and then you're like I just tied this last sentence to that first sentence and I didn't know I was going to do that. Oh, yeah. That's something that happens again as you as you get longer in the tooth i guess definitely and it's such a great moment yeah. right like yeah. you feel it all come together and like the clouds parts and a beam of light shines on and you and there's like oh. you know how it's gonna go you haven't done it yet but you see your way through yeah exactly exactly and then it helps later on because when you start a story you don't suddenly feel like you know i'm a shit writer i've forgotten how to do this i'll never write a good thing right sentence again you know you're just like oh well okay i remember what that that process is like and that experience so i feel like I can start not knowing and sort of, you know, discover it as I'm going. Um, yeah, I, I think that's one of the, like, I had a moment recently on something I was working on where, like, I just was, just, it wasn't working. Like, a great story, it wasn't working. And then you sort of uh, had this moment where you're completely thinking about something else. You're not even thinking in your writing brain. You're over, like, in your laundry brain or your grocery shopping brain. And all of a sudden, you see something or you hear something or whatever it is, something, and, and then all of a sudden you have this completely disconnected moment and you're like 
oh man, I get it. Like, and then you've just fixed your problem, and that's such a relief. I right. think too. It's not only do, do you feel like, oh, I got this, but it's a relief. Well, there's a, it's because there's a tension. I mean, I mean, and that's what makes it that's what makes it a fun story to write, and a, hopefully a fun story to read is that you you develop a tension and then you resolve the tension, or you resolve it as much as you feel you need to resolve it. But it, it's when that tension snaps, when that tension breaks, that's when you get that. You know, yeah, it stops hurting and it feels and it feels just just splendid. And you oh, stop yeah. feeling so stupid. Right. right. <laughs> I, I actually I'll, I, that happens to me often when I'm walking the dogs and I'll text. I'll send myself an email and the subject of the email. God forbid I die before I get them all cleaned up. But the subject of the email is always genius. So I know like like. Like this is this is your genius idea, and like I have like pages and pages of unopened emails <laughs> that just just genius, genius, genius. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take a wild guess and imagine your pigeon book is under. A, Tony has a pigeon book. I don't ask, but he has a pigeon book. So my my pigeon my my pigeon book is. I'm not gonna forget that. You're, Clearly, you're no one no that. one I meet is gonna forget my pigeon book. This is stuff I'm, I'm afraid I'm gonna forget when I when I'm like. When I'm trying, like, like, so I had an uncomfortable conversation before the before the show started. I get these ideas in my head, and I have to I have to work them through. And when I come up with a part of that idea, I'll tur- I'll say genius, and then I'll say, you know, stop making women feel uncomfortable. Like, and <laughs> and like think about what that story, what that what that how would that essay look? And then I just chew on it and chew on it and chew on it until no one talks to me anymore, and I and I'm put in jail. But you know, I, I chew on it until it's done. Right. Um, and that's that's the kind of thing you would be horrified. That's what I'm saying. I hope that I hope that I clear Look, that out before ever, I die. If anything ever happens, I'll get to Kelly right away and be like, <laughs> all these subject oh. lines delete. <laughs> delete. Well, that, the, the, the unfort- if God forbid, well, can you imagine what that poor woman has to put up with? Because I, I mean, I say it all out loud to her, right? So that's that's a whole... and you're saying it all out loud on the podcast every <laughs> week. So, but um, one of the things I, I do want to I'm going to circle back right quick, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Please get me out of here. Um, is how you know this is a really varied collection. It's very interesting. Your protagonists all sort of seem to be kind of younger. That like post college, s- still not like a d- mature adult. There's that kind of moment in there where there's it's like college was awesome and it left me unprepared for real life. You know, and yeah. so you have these things. So I guess my question is like. When did you start this collection? Because it kind of feels like you're still kind of pulling on that that like post college grist, you know? Oh, definitely. I think I started it pretty much right out of grad school. Um, and luckily, I mean, I did have a job, but it was a part time job, and it was a series of part time jobs. I was doing like the adjunct shuffle, plus like working at these other crappy places. So I guess I probably still felt that a little bit at the like, right. Where's my life going? What am I doing? I have a huge amount of debt. Oh, uh, right. what am I going to do with that? And uh, yeah, and even when I got past that, I just I think that you know area of time is something that's just so ripe for exploration, you know, because there's just so much angst, and you know, especially kids today. Day, there's just so much you know that is laying on them all these expectations plus the debt plus you know everything and everything's on social media so it's a it's an area of time that i thought was just really good to explore absolutely and then so you wrote the collection and then could you talk to us a little bit about how you 
um, you were traditionally published by uh, Tailwinds Press here. So did you, like, pitch this to them? Was it an idea? Did you just, like, cold call send it in? Like, how did that experience come to work for you? Well, I sent this collection to, like, a buttload of publishers. Um, and first of all, not a lot of publishers are really interested yeah, in collections of short stories. There is um, – <laughs> it's not Malcolm Gladwell who, who wrote uh, Angels, Not Angels and Demons, um, Good Omens. The – Go ahead. You can say out loud. We have an audience <laughs> member. Huh? Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman was talking about how hard it was for him to get a collection of short story published. Oh, yeah. So that that was, you know, trick number one. Um, and I knew I really wanted to go to this with the small press route because I like small presses. You know, number one, they're smaller, but they're more personal. You know, a lot of times they'll allow you to submit to them directly rather than having an agent. I didn't want to do the whole agent thing. And also, I didn't think I could get an agent. Um, so... I was looking at different presses that I've been reading over the years and, you know, seeing when they had open submission windows and sending them stuff and getting rejections. And then this was just like a call for submissions. I think it was on like new pages. Um, and so they were advertising their new press. And I was just like, well, I don't know that much about them, but, you know, I like to look at their website. I like their whole vibe. So what the heck? Um, and so I just kind of sent the whole collection to them, just like, you know, giant word document of stories. And they're like, please love me. You know, every time you submit <laughs> right. something, yeah, wait for it back. So <laughs> beautiful it's it, when you're when you when the, there's not there's nothing worse than <laughs> yeah. it, like it, sometimes you're having a bad day and you're like you know how this day is gonna end it's gonna end with a rejection letter i'm gonna open up my email or i'm gonna get a letter and it's thanks gonna say why you even but... have fingers <laughs> that's what my intent to say we really appreciate reading a lot delete. Uh, that's not, not going anywhere. Oh, like, when, whenever it starts with thank you, oh, <laughs> it's done. You're like, nope, that's it. Nope, this is not happening. And so even though um, I spent most of the time just working through my own issues, we are kind of pulling into the station here. <laughs> so uh, we, we usually finish up by talking about getting your book sold, selling it. Um, what do you do? Like, do you, do you, how do you book get your book sold? Or? Yeah, do you, I'm 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 on an anti-book signing crusade. So, <laughs> well, I've done um, one book signing here uh, in town. Well, here in town being Salisbury, that's my town. Gotcha. Um, and uh, yeah, the book's available on Amazon, mm. um, and it's on the Small Press website. And the press itself goes to uh, like a, a lot of different conferences and like expos and stuff like that. And they'll set up a table and have the books available, so they've sold, right. you know a good amount of books that way. And then you know my friends and family are very supportive and they harangue their colleagues to buy the book as well right so it's like all those sort of little things that you do that kind of you know stack up and add up to like a couple hundred Mm -hmm. books being sold um and then trying to get the book into hands of reviewers and then hope that they'll pluck it out of a pile of a thousand other books and write you a a not sucky review where they don't like trash it right then that'll get on a website and someone will look at that click on it maybe buy the book you know so it's like a a lot of time into you know just uh trying to get a couple people a couple more people each time to like look at your book right do you find that um social media blogging do you find those things have been helpful or just kind of ancillary measures or um I haven't done too much with social media or blogging. Uh, I keep, I have a blog. I don't really update it. I'm just terrible at it. Uh, I always just, I feel so like fake. I feel like, you know, Willie Loman, like a phony little fake whenever right. I'm writing on my blog. Like, I don't know. I haven't figured out how to do that. But uh, I think the things that have been most helpful are just like, 
um, the, you know, word of mouth, uh, the people that I know, and also them talking to people that they know, uh, and then also, like, the different conferences. Right. And then, of course, being on this world-famous podcast. Right. Absolutely, the podcast. Yeah, I mean. we, we, may have, we may have as many as 2,000 people who listen to this by the end of the, by the, end of the day. And also, I mean, you have, you have the privilege, and I really think it's a privilege because I'm a little jealous um, of being of being an academic, and that that's kind of its own reward. I didn't get to be one, and I wish I had. So, um, <laughs> it is fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is its own reward, and and, and it's your the, the this is something that's kind of expected of you in your job. Yes, I I teach and I publish, and I teach and I publish, and it's 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 good that way. I I think I think that that's that that's a wonderful way to be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I also want – there was one other note that I made here. Sure. And there's really not much conversation to be had about it, but I feel like I have to say this on the podcast. There's a story in here about a girl band, about these chicks that get together and they do this <laughs> band. And it takes kind of a dark turn, but the band name, uh, I think – or at least one of the ones that was kicked around was Danielle Steele gave me herpes. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> I just feel like I needed to say that on the podcast. <laughs> like that Danielle Steele gave me herpes. I feel like sometimes, yeah, anyway, you take that for what you will. But uh, there <laughs> that was, was a really fun one to write. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. I mean, I, it, it kind of went to some dark territory oh, and then yeah. it kind of, we kind, we kind of, you know, made that turn. But I was like, I just like Danielle Steele gave me herpes. I was just like, I just kept reading that over and I was like, Danielle Steele gave somebody herpes. Danielle Steele gave somebody, uh, it was just, it was fantastic. And, uh, I just needed to say that on the podcast. I've never said herpes before on the podcast. Well, that's so. that's that's good good for you. I would. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you're as long as you're not afraid to make it weird as well, I guess. <laughs> Look, we're just gonna go weird places. <laughs> we're just, we're just gonna... <laughs> this is like the weirdest podcast yeah, we've done she'll, yet. So. She'll she'll come back Yay, just to I'm see happy. if it's <laughs> if, it, if it's really like this all the time. Um, and and so we, we're gonna say we've pulled into the station, but we have a new section to add to the show that we didn't have last week because softball question. We got fan mail. Yay. Yeah, we're going to have to do like a really cool like... Uh, overlay? Like some kind of music overlay, like a trumpet or a drum roll or well, something, but not super fair. cheesy. Yeah, fanfare, we, but not, not super cheesy. cheesy at all. So um, I was sitting here at my desk, uh, I guess it was last week or the week before, and this letter came in from... a uh, letter came in and I opened it up and it was actually podcast fan mails and i was like i'm reading this on the next podcast and then i realized that it was from another washington college alum so it made sense to read it while melissa was here also a washington college alum uh that's also mine so here we go this is from annie woodall who is the head librarian at the kent county library in chestertown maryland and she writes dear stephanie i am thoroughly enjoying so what's your story and have found something in each episode that makes me think or say yes and stop what I'm doing to back up and listen to an idea for a second time. Thanks for ca- thanks for creating an intention capturing podcast. Now the news, happy spring. So uh, <laughs> thank you very much, Annie. I'm so I was so thrilled to get that note, and we were um, um, Tony and I. I think our heads kind of yeah. Blew it, up. Was, it was it was it was it was it was a beautiful day. We were we were both very happy, and then there was no rejection letter when I got home. So no, we got yeah. fan mail. That was awesome. So and also, if anybody else wants to uh, reach out and talk to us, we have an email. It is podcast at saltwatermedia.com. So if you send us something, we'll read it at this point. Yeah, we'll, we'll totally read it on the air. And until it gets too long, and then we'll just sum it up and say, hey, thanks. You know. Thanks, you. Thanks, so. you. Thanks, th- th- thanks, writer number four <laughs> at AOL.com. Exactly. There's no ease in that. So thank you very much for being on the podcast, Melissa. It was great to have you, and um, I'm very excited about this collection. It was really fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. 
So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. To hear more behind-the-story stories, visit us at www.saltwatermedia.com. Want to hear more? Just subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Want other people to hear more? Give us a great review on iTunes. Tell your story.